0: The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KUCI, its management, the California Board of Regents, or Republicans speaking truth to power. Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the November 24th, 2020 edition of Ask a Leader, today we consider sacred lands and how in recognizing them and where we live we can advance the important processes of reparation resolution and revitalization in our time for the full hour my guests are rebecca robles a hutchman tribal member culture bearer and activist and joyce stanfield perry a hutchman Lusenyo and Kumeyaay descendant and a Hachiman tribal scholar. We'll be right back after a station break. Welcome back to Ask a Leader. My guests for the full hour are Rebecca Robles and Joyce Stanfield Perry. They shall weave themes of recognition, revelation, reciprocity, reparation, resolution, and revitalization in our time as we consider land, sacred land of Native Americans threatened by further encroachment and removal. I'll first introduce Rebecca. Rebecca Robles is an Ahachman tribal member, culture bearer, and activist. She is the mother of three sons, five grandsons, and one granddaughter. She's continued the preservation of sacred sites started by her mother. Rebecca has continued the ancestor walk, a pilgrimage to Ahachman sacred and culture sites, culminating with a healing ceremony at Pavuna in Long Beach, which we have talked about with. Patricia Maritz on previous Ask a Leader shows. She has an associate and an, a registered nurse degree that she earned at Long Beach City College, and she completed her Business Administration Bachelor of Arts at North Arizona University. Rebecca has committed the last 20 years to a preservation of sacred lands as a way of preserving culture and promote understanding and appreciation for Ojibwe life ways. My other guest for this full hour is Joyce Stanfield Perry. She is a Hachiman, Lusenyo, and Kumeyaay descent. Joyce is a mother, a tutu, a wife, and an auntie. Joyce's work in her community spans over 30 years. She is an Hachiman tribal scholar, founder, and president of Kawichum Kamalam an American Indian nonprofit organization founded in 2000, culture resource director for the Huanyeño Band of Mission Indians, Hachman Nation Belarde's founder and executive director of the Hachman Tongva Land Conservancy and former board member of the Blas Aguilar Adobe Museum, Hachman Cultural Center. As an American Indian consultant for the archeological projects Joyce has negotiated with landowners for repatriation and reburial of ancestors and their belongings. She's been instrumental in developing, educating Native and non-Native personnel in forming policies for cultural, and historical preservation. Joyce was a member of the Laguna Canyon Foundation interpretive Exhibit Design Team for the James and Roseberry Nicks Nature Center. That's in the Laguna Beach, Laguna Canyon area. A member of the Petutum Park Project, Portola Springs Community Center Hutchman Room Project, and is very active in the Hutchman language revitalization movement. She's matriculated at the Irvine Valley College, and she has also acquired extensive knowledge of, let's call it a PhD equivalent with Luceño and Hotchman cultural practitioners. Rebecca Robles comes to us safely today from her home and Joyce Stanfield Perry from her home in Irvine. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Rebecca Robles and Joyce Stanfield Perry to Ask a Leader. Thank you. Thank you. So I think first we heard Rebecca and then Joyce. Correct. First, I'd like to know Joyce and Rebecca if you have a land acknowledgement for this moment at this interview together.
1: Yeah. I'd like to do a land acknowledgement. I'd like to honor the lands. I'd like I'd like all of you who are listening to realize that you know, these lands that you walk upon. They're the pathways that our our ancestors, our parents, our grandparents, our great-great-grandparents, that they walked these lands for thousands of years, for at least 10,000 years. And all these places you see that are covered by parking lots and buildings, freeways, shopping centers, they were our homes, our villages, our gathering places, the places where we buried our placentas, the places where we left our elders when they passed, you know, all of these places are important places to us. They're places where our creation ceremonies were done, where our puberty ceremonies were done, our villages were. So when you walk, when you travel, when you're on the freeway, these places aren't just, you know, like a, a line on the road. They're important places to us. And so, I ask you to honor them. I ask you to remember our people. I ask you to remember that we're all related, you know, that uh, we're the animals, the plants, the things that were that provide us with life. You know, I ask you to remember that each day when we greet the the sun in the east, you know, that it brings us life. That our people have been here for thousands of years, and that we our relationship to this land is very, very important, that it's what fills us up. It's what completes us. And so I ask you to honor, you know, this place that we call our home, California, Irvine, you know, that this place is very important to us and that the same way that it provided us with the ability to live, that it's providing you the ability to have a home, you know, have a happy life, continue to live here. So I ask you to honor this place, you know, our home, California. I ask you to remember all our relations. Yahweh. Yahweh.
2: I also would like to acknowledge that we are on the, the land of the Hahashiman and Tongva community, which was stolen from us um, in the our late 1700s and that we are still here and we continue to persist, and that when you travel through the canyons and valleys or bays or estuaries or visit the ocean, that you will continue to hear and feel our ancestors' presence. Thank you. What I also wanted to note is, while it's very important to acknowledge the place and the existence of the First Peoples, By no means is that all that is necessary. Um, I really want to encourage the listeners to educate yourself on whose homeland you reside, to um, help to preserve uh, and protect our environment, and last but not least, to help us to return some of our lands back. It goes without saying that the Hoshman and Tongva, you know since we're, our land is in such a desirable location that we um, don't have title to the land we call our homeland. So thank you. Thank you, both of you, that was- Rebecca started the land- Oh, Re- in- oh okay, and then
0: Joyce. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I also, I just heard in the interfaith cultural meeting that took place earlier today, they had a, a gentleman, a descendant of the Jewish diaspora, who contributed in this interfaith. And he was acknowledging his form of a kind of a a land acknowledgement or a prayer was to have us think of where we reside on top of tectonic plates of other cultures. I thought that was
1: very, very rich. I agree. And that has been our experience. When you think of it, like the indigenous people lived here, lived, you know, like the scientific evidence says at least 10,000 years, but recently there was something, there were mastodon bones that were discovered down in San Diego and they had etchings that could only Mm -hmm. be done by humans. And that dated back to 50,000 years ago. And so the indigenous people say we've been here forever. And I think maybe that's what forever is. But if you think of it like the Ahashiman and the Gabrielino Tongva and the Kumiai and the Luceno and the other people lived here. And then in the 1500s, the Spanish began coming here. For the Ahashiman people, our first interaction with the Spaniards was in 1769. So the Spaniards were here, then the Mexicans were here, and then the American people are here. And then all the other cultures on top, you know, that have. You know, like there's a Korean town, there's a little Italy, there's a Viet, you know, a Saigon town. So all of these other cultures are on top of the indigenous Ahashiman land. You know, so if you, you know, the way that he described it, that's one way. And I'm describing it in a similar context, you know, a similar context, yes. But what has happened is the Ahashman people and the indigenous people have been written out of history. You know, if you read many books, it will just start 1769, the Spaniards came, the missions were built. And it's not just our experience here in Southern California. You know, it's the indigenous people and our contributions and our thousand year histories have been written out of the American history books. And so, Right now, that is changing with the land acknowledgements, with the land back, with the, you know, like all the fires, people realizing that Indigenous people, you know, did controlled burns regularly to control, you know, like, and people becoming aware of our environmental management.
0: Absolutely. Well, Mm -hmm. thank you for the broader picture here. And I would like us now to speak specifically to endangered sacred lands. Those are 22, it's a 22 acre parcel of land on the Cal State University Long Beach campus. It's known as the Puvungna, is that correct? That's correct. Uh, it's the last, apparently it's the last remaining, is it, undeveloped sacred Native American land in the region that would be like in Southern California or in the LA Orange County region uh, help, help us get Context on that specific parcel, and then we'll talk about the what it means, what's in that, what those shell mounds and other attributes of that sacred parcel.
1: Go ahead, Joyce.
2: Yeah, great. Uvongna is uh, in the northern territory of the Hahashiman homeland, and our origin stories tell us that ancestral being Wio and Chinichinich were at this place and are responsible for establishing the ceremonies and the rites, moral codes necessary for guiding and preserving the Hahashman way of life. So to ground you in the sense of space, I'm gonna just share a little bit about um, When he died, the Kamalam, which were the first people, and the first people were not people like we know today that have bodies, they were uh, spirits, they were, and bundles of energy. So when we dies oh. and the Kamalam are gathered at Pavongna and are mourning him and they're wondering, will he return? So instead, a being by the name of Chinichinich emerged and recreated people in our current physical form. So Pavongna is shared with our northern neighbors, the gabrielino Tongva, and it's located on the campus of cal state university of long beach the whole university is the site of Pavona as well as the va hospital but all that's left is the 22 acres that's undeveloped so the fight to save Pavona erupted into a public uproar at around 1993 when the university the administration fenced off the site and tore down an organic garden. They planned to develop the site into a parking lot and mini mall. The regents who govern the state university system denied the site sanctity, demanding that native people provide proof of our belief systems, that Pavongna was sacred and how we worshiped. I was one of those original plaintiffs along with Uh, Lillian Robles, who is Rebecca's mom, and she'll speak to you about that in just a moment. So the campus began preparing for the development, which sparked a prayer vigil to halt the project and to protect the land. So these preparations were prompted by um, ACLU and the Native American Heritage Commission. They entered into a lawsuit against the university. With the support of Professor Dr. Eugene Rule and Attorney Raleigh Levine and Native activists, the case was identified as the Native American Heritage Commission versus the Board of Trustees of California University, which was a major precedent-setting case because, in essence, there were two state agencies that were in a lawsuit together. So this was a really big deal. You have to remember this is in the early 1990s and the American Indian movement and the civil rights movement, it, you know, really sparked the flames that were um, uh, united. Uh, so there were these brave activists put a lot online and held steady through four years of turmoil Engaging in protest walks, weekly meetings, depositions, where we were interrogated as to how we prayed and to whom, how we uh, could prove that we were Native Americans. We selected several representatives to testify in court on our behalf. Our ethnicity was challenged. In my case, I have an Irish English father, an American Indian mother, and in my birth certificate, it says that I am white. And so they wanted to know why I claim being a Native American. So uh, that sparked a a real trigger for me and all all that I had to endure. So a warrior mentality was required for the strength that was necessary to endure this battle. But ultimately we prevailed and on December 13th, 1996, the court appeals ruled in our favor. So early fall, these brave warriors and other native people along with people that are invited from the public Gather at Pavongna for the Ancestors Walk, which is a modern-day pilgrimage, grounded in tradition, ceremonies, healing, solstice, and funeral rites. And people from all tribal nations around the world continue to gather at Pavongna, demonstrating the dynamic nature of the ceremony and how it continues to connect Indigenous peoples to the cultural heritage that we have today. So I'm going to let Rebecca. I kind of just gave you a background of Pavangna in the in the '90s. And Rebecca, do you want to please you know, start with start yes. where with, we what, are? Was what your today. mother Lillian?
0: Uh, yes, where she was involved yeah. and how you became.
1: Okay, my mother was Lillian. She passed away in uh, 2000. The, last uh, 15 years of her life devoted to preserving sacred sites. She saw the sacred sites as a repository for our culture, our history, our connection with the ancestors and a way of life. And she began the Ancestor Walk. And at the Ancestor Walk, we go, what she said, at the time Columbus Day was being celebrated. And what she said was, Here, all these people, they know about Columbus and we've been here thousands of years and people don't know anything about us. They don't know anything about our sacred sites. They think we no longer exist. And so she developed this pilgrimage and we start in San Clemente at a village called Panhe. It's at the very south end of San Clemente and we travel up 50 miles and end at Long Beach at Puvungna. We stop at sites that have been either destroyed or have been desecrated or, you know, uh, where there have been fights to pre- to preserve them. We go from San Clemente, we go to Puthidam, which is in San Juan Capistrano. Puthidam is one of the are the villages of the Ahashiman people. Uh, it means in our language, her navel, because it was, uh, <gasps> it was named after uh, one of our female leaders, Karone. In 2004, the private Catholic high school was built on the main section of Puthidam. If you go forward you know, 10 years, the the city of San Juan Capistrano approached the Ahashiman community and asked us to help them build a culture center design and build a culture center across the street in the in the northwest open space because that is also a portion of the village and so we've actively worked on that and as we speak the culture center is being built it's an outdoor museum there will be signage there will be a statue there will be native plants and we've been working on that it's the groundwork is being done right now and then
0: but one moment, excuse me, Rebecca. So you said that the San Juan Capistrano City approached. So it, was it the the city of that initiated this establishment of cultural center, or there were Native peoples activists that were that approached them, and then the the initiative was taken before the city approached, made the step. I, I just
1: want to know sort the building, of building the building of private Catholic high school was very, very, you know, was a huge event in the city. And so I think as the city actually approached our ahashiman community to, I think, to make things right, wouldn't you say that, Joyce?
0: Like a reconciliation kind of
2: thing. That... Well, I, I'm going to uh,
0: yes
1: kind of chime in here.
2: Actually, the thought process started mm-hmm. in 1980 when Chief Dave Velardus indicated that his vision for the Patutum village was to actually have a cultural center there. Okay. So um, because J. Sarah was such a chaotic, hurtful event for our community, I think the city understood the importance of honoring us. And it wasn't until actually Dr. Uh, Patricia Marks and myself and Rebecca and Alfred Cruz and, uh, Bob uh, Robert Cardoza, who was a commissioner at the city of, of San Juan Capistrano, started emphasizing the importance of continuing that village and in the attempts of, of creating uh, and honoring the Hahashiman and uh, a healing process. So that's how the project. So came it was up. the
1: community and city and people in the city in the city council and city planning yeah so
2: so it's a long overdue process you know I mean since the village of Ahashima is what we call our core village and the city basically has never done anything to acknowledge us so it's long overdue and we're very happy that it's occurring
0: and would you say ladies that this is a some kind of a was it a model an an exemplary kind of reconciliation that It's a small step, but is it a step that you think we really need to make sure everybody knows how this works so we can just replicate it and just start making inroads with the understanding and returning certain lands
1: to their- I do wanna say that it's the land belongs to the city of San Juan Capistrano, but I do think that it's a healing, I do think that it's a healing gesture and I do think, you know, like how the way uh, busloads of children go to the, the mission, right? I think that busloads of children will go to that park. I think that we'll be able to tell our story, honor our female leader. So it is a, you know, like it's it's a step in the right direction. And San Juan Capistrano, you know, their motto is something like, uh, what is preserve protect preserve the past Mm -hmm. yeah what is it Joyce I'm not really something about preserve and protect yeah yeah and Mm -hmm. so it's good it's the northern gate to the city it's it's going to be a beautiful park our children our grandchildren will be able to go there and it did grow out of something that was very very tumultuous Mm -hmm. you know so I I do think that it's a, a step in the right direction so Then on the pilgrimage, we continue, we go to Newport Back Bay, we go up the 405, we go to uh, get off on Jamboree, and we go to um, Santa Barbara Street. And across from Santa Barbara Street, there's a site where an ancient, ancient village was destroyed to build houses. And it was so ancient, there were like more than 600 ancestor remains that were uh, dug up and moved to build those houses. Can we get the,
0: the right, the exact Santa Barbara? Is that part, the sort of the the head
1: of the Newport Basin estuary? Is well, that right? yeah, this is? I do want to say, sacred sites are it's uh, confidential, and so okay, okay. It's I in just, the yeah. It's it's in the vicinity where the police station is. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but we go and we pray and we commemorate there. And what we pray is that that something like that will never happen again, because for us, it's very, very, very upsetting, you know, that we have this very curious relationship with the land, because we we had 18 treaties with the federal government, but our treaties were never ratified. And so we're a landless tribe. And so this is private property. The laws of private property don't protect uh, the sacred sites the way that most indigenous people think that they should like most indigenous people are first preferences avoidance. Well, you can't say, you know, to a landowner you can't say don't build there because it's a, you know, it's a burial ground. The landowner thinks in a different way. He thinks, you know, each house will be a million dollars. You know, I'll be able to, to build my business. And so there's conflict there. So we pray, you know, to honor our ancestors. We pray that that will never happen. We pray to heal ourselves because it's very disruptive, very sad that um, ancestors are disinterred. Nothing in our previous um, history prepares us for that, you know, for the digging up of ancestors and then reburying them. So it's very, very difficult. From there, we go to Fairview Park at Fairview Park, Overlooking the Santa Ana River, that is one of our sacred sites. And Talbert that was the is part of the, is
0: Talbert Park part of that system?
1: Yes, okay. I'm not sure. That was our pathway, our trade way out to the mm-hmm. desert. You know, out to them, to Colorado River, and that way. You know, but it was an ancient village overlooking the Santa Ana River, and then we go to Bolsa Chica. Joyce, do you want to talk about Bolsa Chica? Sure. Bolsa Chica
2: is a um, very ancient village. We call it now the place where the old people rest. It is comparable to the Newport Back Bay village in the fact that many uh, hundreds of ancestors were unearthed as well as uh, remarkable uh, ancestors' belongings were also unearthed and it is our hopes that again, how it was private land and uh, ancestors were removed and put uh, and relocated you know, in a reburial location. And we're hoping that there will be some sort of reciprocity and that someday soon we will be recipients of the title of 8.2 acres of land that's right um, next to the burial ground of, of our ancestors. We've created another nonprofit called the Hahashiman Tongva Land Conservancy, yes. which consists of Hahashiman and Tongva community members. And we're calling this a place of knowledge and healing. And we're hopeful that that will be moving forward and that spring or summer of next year, we will be able to hold title to and be stewards of and protect and preserve what is left of one of our ancient villages where the old people
1: rest. Okay, we're moving along, Rebecca too. Okay, the next stop is Hellman Ranch. It's at where Sil Beach Boulevard is, across the street from um, the Naval Weapons Station. Mm -hmm. And that place, it's the village of Motichanga. And I would say probably, it was probably around 1995. There were a group of houses being built there at Heron Point, And there were ancestors that were uh, disturbed there. And the monitors, you know, like actually stopped the building of that was going on. There were 27 ancestors that were disturbed on that day. The Coastal Commission stopped the building, built one less house, and you know, a reburial and a culture park were built there. Recently, what's happening is between that and Pavungna, Pavungna is ne- the next village north and it's about probably 10 miles away, but it's all wetlands in there. And that's all co- like, uh, our people didn't just live in one spot. Usually there were, were large villages and there were like their uh, the things that they needed. Their neighborhood, know. basically yeah. their neighborhood. The grocery store, yeah. Mm -hmm. They were all in that vicinity. And so all the area, the wetlands in between Hellman Ranch and Puvungna were like a part of Puvungna. And there is development threatened in in that wetlands there, you know, the Coastal Commission, there's been um, hearings with the Coastal Commission to permit drilling for uh, oil, horizontal drilling for oil in those spaces. And so as we speak, there's the threat of more development in between or in a part of the sacred site of Puvungna. So from Hellman, we go to Puvungna. And at Puvungna, you know, like the entire village was 500 acres in prehistoric times, like Joyce was mentioning earlier. The last remaining 22 acres is an open area where we do ceremony. When we, like at the end of the pilgrimage, when we all come there and there are people waiting for us, we've been out all day since seven o'clock in the morning and we've been praying at each site. Often it's uh, tiring, it's uh, emotional, it's spiritual, it's touching, and we get to Pavona and you know, like, as soon as we get there, people are there already. But we end up having about 500 people there. Mm. We have a community feast. And then we have a ceremony, a healing ceremony. And if you squint your eyes, you feel like you're in different times, even though there are cars driving along Bellflower Boulevard, and there, there's noise and lights we return to our ancient village and do ceremony. And it's very, very touching. But what in September of 2019, the university on the same day that uh, Governor Newscomb was apologizing to California Indians for the dark treatment, the historic, uh, he called, he actually called it a genocide that happened to the Indian people, the university was dumping soils on Pavongna. They dumped dirt in uh, dump trucks for eight hours on, on Pavongna. And we, we couldn't believe it. We were appalled. You know, we were absolutely appalled because in the injunction that happened in 1995 and in the in, since that time, we haven't driven cars on the site. And so we called everybody we knew to try to figure out what was going on. We called every lawyer we knew to try to stop it. You know, it was a Friday afternoon and we were calling everyone we knew and we were aghast, you know, and it was, couldn't believe that it was happening, but it is happening. And at the, the, where we are at this point is the Cal State University, Long Beach, by law, they're required to consult with the, the affiliated tribes. They did not do that. Requ- the Povongna site is on the National Register of Historic Places. It's listed on the Native American Heritage Commission's sacred lands file. So they before any activity like that, they should contact SHPO. What the university said is that they were consulting with an in-house committee but they did not consult with the affiliated tribes. So we have filed a lawsuit, a CEQA lawsuit, and we filed it. We,
0: uh, well, let me, let me but just mention for listeners that may not be familiar, that's the California Environmental Quality Act and, it's, uh, and it includes cultural assets in any land in the state.
1: Yeah, so we've filed a lawsuit Uh, We filed it at the beginning last year, uh, like probably in October, the pandemic, the courts were closed. And then there was a delay in uh, replying back from the university. We've waited one year. There hasn't been any movement. And so at this point, we're moving forward with the lawsuit and we are collecting the administrative rec, our lawyers collecting administrative records. And we have a date with the judge, December the 2nd, to see what, you know, to talk about the merits of the the lawsuit. But it's just appalling is all I can say. And the one thing also is that like for us, for the Indigenous community, there's been tremendous loss. You know, there's been tremendous loss of our sites, of our culture, of our language, of our history. And so the win at Pavongna is one of our greatest contemporary stories. Mm-hmm. It's where we won, you know, it's where we came together and we, we were victorious. And so it, it's a contemporary loss if we're not able to defend Pavongna, you know, against this most recent desecration. Eight it, hours of, of that. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, eight it's tons of soil. Yes. It, you know, it, and it, it was semi-trucks full of soil. It wasn't just soil. It was uh, construction debris. There were pieces of cement. There was pipe. There was wire. And the, you know. It wasn't it, mulch. <laughs> no, it wasn't mulch. And then uh, when I think about it, you know, I I, you know, that's not a passive act. You know, that's not a passive act, dumping soils. It says a lot. It says... Well, it's like a landfilling, right? Yeah, it says, your history's not important. Your culture's not important. We're going to bury you. And it's, you know, it's it's very hard not to take it personally. Ladies, I just
0: want to let listeners know who joined us. My guests are Rebecca Robles, an Ahachaman tribal member. Cultural bearer and activist, and Joyce Stanfield Perry, a Hachiman, Luceno, and Kumeyaay descendant, and an Hachiman tribal scholar, and we are we've made a pathway along settlements occupied for centuries, for millennia, ten millennia, or fifty millennia along the Southern California coastline. Essentially, we're now at a 22-acre parcel, the Pumbunga parcel at Cal State Long Beach. And to to hear other kinds of meetings now remotely, we can go to any meeting. And and these kinds of takings, I mean, that's the legal term, there's takings of these cultural assets are happening under a lot of different California institutions. It's the UC system, it's state agencies, it's private properties that are being developed. So it's it's a lot of oversight to try to sort of slow down to reverse these kinds of, these takings of all kinds of Native people's properties.
2: One of the things that I really wanted to mention, Ripa, you did a really great job. In, yes, both in, of you. And out, outlining our ancestral sites. But one of the things that I think is really important to talk about is our relationship with our ancestors doesn't end at death once their remains are put into our homeland, that's how we stay connected, which is very different worldview than, in you know, a Western society. So when the unearthing of ancestors, you know, within our homeland occurs, that just creates a tremendous amount of chaos and, you know, indigenous people are not alone in being concerned about this ever-changing landscape, but, Rather that many people are tapping into the realization that the loss of these connections to the earth is indeed, you know, in need of urgent attention, and this isn't just hahashiman history. This is Americans' his America's history. So erasing us is not the answer. And so how do we s- secure a sustainable future for our descendants in the next seven generations to come if we continually e- you know erase the culture before us and the culture before that it it just isn't sustainable or respectful so i i want to, to be very clear that my intention you know in speaking with you this afternoon is to encourage the people that are listening to, you know, take an indigenous point of view whenever you're becoming a city planner or a landowner or a president of the United States and realize that quote unquote resources are really life sources. And if we continue to degrade them, we'll, we won't have anything left. So I, I, I just can't emphasize enough about the importance of promoting education and sustainable and respectful stewardship for the land.
0: And I know when you mean when you talk about resources, you're talking about every conceivable resource, including
2: clean air.
1: Yes. Clean water, exactly clean,
0: er, everything. We're not talking yes. about extraction. We're just talking about staying alive, stand upright.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And,
2: and respecting our the mother, uh, the, our earth. That is our in to Native uh, beliefs. I think pretty much, you know, universally, is Earth is our mother. You don't treat your relatives this
1: abusively, and and, so, and um, she's a living vital, vibrant entity, you know, and if we're not, and that, and you, you, the connectedness, you know, the, the caring for the, the, um, uh, the mutual relationship is paramount to our survival. And so, uh, you wanted to talk about Thanksgiving, didn't you, Claudia? Well, we will. We will. We'll
0: close with okay. that. But there, before we get there, I mean, we're talking that the concept of footprints that we could learn so much from the footprints of native peoples as a way of repairing the climate crisis. I, I'm just going to put that down as when when we when we think about solving it, there's centuries, millennia of occupying and residing here where that footprint, that holds the answer to what peril we're facing there. I just wanna put that down there. And then I, and of these attributes, there is in sort of in the public discussion of the New Mexican Congresswoman, Deb Holland that she might be considered under consideration. I don't, it's, I don't have a, a lock on the, the Biden-Harris Brain Trust right now, or the transition team, but she's being considered for the appointment to secretary of the interior. And I, when I was looking up some of her bio and she claims, she says she's a 35th generation New Mexican.
2: Yes, yes. And I wanted to quote one of our leaders Yes. comes to the footprints. His name is Chief Clarence Lobo, and he represented us in land claims, you know, in the 20s through the 50s and ended in the 70s. So he says, our children shall not know the experience of roaming over these rolling hills and listening to the wild birds as they walk through nature. Here, now, will be the foundation of knowledge where the cream of our youth shall drink from the rivers of learning. The future belongs to our youth. Our footprints are on the sand of time, shall be history to them. And that was recorded on the University of Irvine as it was being built. Wow. So he saw the future, he knew that that knowledge was important, but he also saw that our footprints on the sound of time shall only be history to them.
0: Thank you for that, right here. I mean, what? I say in our backyards and that's it, it's even presumptuous of me to say our backyard. That's, an ocupo- that's a colonial frame of reference to say our backyard, but, but it's my sort of bridging. The idea is where we are, where we
2: exist, where we're thriving, Today, within the city of Irvine, there are at least 142 ancestral sites recorded. 86 of them are at UCI or within a one mile radius. And within the county of Orange, there are over 1,500. These include sacred sites, villages, sites of trade and transportation corridors. So think about that for a second. you're li- you're literally living on the vi- villages and transportation corridors and trade sites and sacred sites of the Hohokam
0: letting that sink in so let's go back to what you think what opportunities could be with a secretary of the interior who's a 35th generation new mexican she's a member of the pueblo laguna and hemes pueblo heritage so a uh, talk about what you what you've been mulling over in that opportunity.
2: Well, I'm excited. I'm first of all, the fact that she understands our connection to land. And the Department of Interior is, you know, the department that the United States of America um, has chosen to deal with uh, the indigenous people are under that department, yes. So, I mean, just walking in the door and, and, and talking to her, we're already 10 steps ahead of the game. If in fact, she does become the- The secretary. Secretary of Department of Interior, yeah. So I support her and her efforts 100%. And New Mexico is the home to large population of indigenous peoples, and we're very responsible in, in making sure you know our um, landscape and our, uh, environment, you know, stays protected since it's been under tremendous threat through the current administration.
1: Yeah. So I, I really believe that. So would be a good I'd like to say something. Yes, I think Rebecca. Uh, I think under the Department of Interior is the all of the national parks, all of the public lands, uh, Bureau of Land Management lands. Bureau of Indian Affairs. Those are the only things that I can think of off the top of my head. But I've also been impressed with uh, Representative Harlan in how interactive she is, how she's been building coalitions, how she's been, you know, like I follow her on Instagram, you know, and she's just, she's been very dynamic, you know, so I'm very excited about it. The other thing is that she's a young person, you know, like young by um, representative age. You know, like she's, I think she's in her fifties. So this is just like as far, probably just the beginning of her political career and influence. And is there an effort
0: to make the case that she is the best suited to be appointed secretary of the department of the interior, that you're aware of ladies? Not that I'm aware
1: of, you know. I, I, but- I, I have seen, I have seen, um on Instagram and on the internet, you know, like asking people to, you know, write and support her, you know, that's, that's all I've seen. So before we conclude with a
0: Thanksgiving acknowledgement for this program, are there specific actions that you would like for listeners
1: to, to take? Yes. Yes, I'd like people, we have an Instagram page, it's called Protect Pavongna. We have many things going on, but Pavongna is like one of our, uh, one of the most pressing right now. So follow us on the Instagram page. Uh, We do have fundraisers. We had a rally scheduled for next weekend, but we had to cancel it because, or we had to postpone it because of the pandemic. We're asking people to write letters, you know, on the Instagram page. and so to get involved that way would be very, very helpful. And then I'm going to say that we do need the public to be aware that, you know, our culture is really important. You know, the land acknowledgement is important. The land back is important. Our community, you know, like we are survivors. We've survived a genocide. You know, we've survived survived pandemics in the past. You have, many. Yeah, and we're still here. And we're, um, you know, like we're positive people. We're, uh, you know, we're part of the public. And we need your help. I mean, it's that basic. And that we, I think the Indigenous people, you were hitting on it, uh, Claudia. I think the Indigenous people are the canary in the coal mine. You know, like mainstream society has to go back to indigenous ways for us as humanity to survive, and that sounds when I say it sometimes it sounds very grandiose, but I actually believe it. Yeah, I actually I believe it to be true. Rebecca, I, I'm
0: canary in the coal mine. That's one analogy I see, and that that's where something does things go badly go and they end poorly there's the, it's the demise of something. And I, I would like to posit that the stewardship of native peoples is an, a, a manual for our civilization to get on with managing climate crisis. So there's yeah. the canary in the coal mine and there's the steward role.
2: Right,
1: right. I, and I, oh, go ahead, Rebecca. Go sorry. ahead,
2: Joyce, I'm sorry. Yeah. So um, since November is the indigenous peoples month, I think it's real important to honor the original people of the land in which we live, to educate yourself, protect the environment, and join us in the fight to return our land. So when you're, you know, wherever you are, wherever you, your home is, who are the Indigenous people of where you live? You know, what do they call themselves? Yeah. What was done to them? And how did you benefit from them? And what are they doing now? I think those are all questions that you know. I want to encourage every listener to educate themselves on because
1: that that is the beginning of of stewardship. Yeah, I'd like to make sure everybody knows how to say our tribal name, please. So, Ahashaman. So, yeah. So if you go away with that, the indigenous people of most of Orange Orange County, of Irvine, where you're walking, where you're going to school, were the ahashemen. And we want to welcome you to our homeland. So miyuyum is how we say hello. Miyuyum to all of you that are listening. Thank you. And I think it's an important distinction
0: to make. That is the the original name that lots of other tribal names have assumed a, a Hispanic, a Latin root well, in their let names. Me just
1: say, we weren't, the, the missionaries gave us that name, you know, and it's uh, like they San. Didn't, they, didn't, they didn't give us the, 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 the term Hahashaman. They gave no, us- No, no, she's the name. talking about Juareño. She's yeah, talking right. about, yes. the, the name Juareño, that was, it's related to San Juan Calif- Capistrano our own name the name we call ourselves is a There are several identities that we use based
2: on the context in which we're operating. So our cultural identity is Hahashiman Nation. And this is from the village of Hashama, which is mission San where, where mission where Samuel Capistrano is and that has been adopted as a representation of our culture. And For the record, Hahashima refers to a heap of animated beings. um, More broadly, we consider ourselves Payomkacham, that's the Westerners, Payomkacham Kamalam are the first people of Earth Mother. And lastly, our sovereign nation, we identify as the one in your band of Mission Indians, Hahashima nation. And guanino is a reference to the neophyte and slave population of the mission San Juan Capistrano and is a post-contact mission identity that was forced upon us and thus has become part of our lexicon. So there's three identities that we refer to ourselves.
0: Thank you. That was really, really lovely and, uh, and very essential. Thank you very much for that well as we draw down in our time together may i ask for a thanksgiving others are coin have coined the term A thanksgiving Thanksgiving acknowledgement for this program
2: go ahead joyce all right this time of year in our um celestial calendar we uh, honor the abundance of of food sources and plant sources and ocean people. Um, It's a time where we begin to go to sleep and uh, be reflective. Um, The winter solstice will be nearing and that is a a time of um, rebirth. So during this time of, gathering and uh, resources we send gratitude and we send uh, thanks to all that came before us and all that comes after us and with that I want to also acknowledge um, Rebecca it's been a real pleasure working with you and Mm -hmm. thank you thank you for your your friendship and your
1: fighting spirit Thank you, Joyce. I see why you're the tribal scholar, too. (laughs) All (laughs) right, now, that's enough.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't really have too much more to say, Claudia.
0: Well, ladies, I want to thank my guests, Rebecca Robles, an Ahachman tribal member, culture bearer and activist, and Joyce Stanfield-Perry, Ahachman, Huseño and Kumiai descendant and a Hachiman tribal scholar. Thank you very much for all of your time today and for an opportunity for us to be better stewards and better fellow citizens of this earth we occupy
1: jointly. Yeah, thank you, Claudia. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody.
0: Well, that was my wrap. I hope you all find joy in how you're managing to do your Thanksgiving this year. Talk with you next week. Thank you for listening, everyone. For your loved ones' sake, your neighbors' sake, your co-worker's sake, keep masking up for very safe holidays ahead.